had to get rid of the glasses, would you guys believe it if I told you they were fake? I know, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> I know, I know, I can see just fine. I was tricking you all and you all believed it. Well, how are we doing tonight? Well, I'm excited you guys are here. Um, before I jump into the text and before I kind of give a recap even of last week, um, I want to start as I kind of like to with a question. So think about this for a second. Who is your role model in life besides yourself? Because I know that's not trustworthy. So who is your biggest role model? For a lot of us, the go-to answer would be our parents, right? Uh, maybe it's some other family member um, that inspires you or that you look up to, or it could even be some kind of famous person that you just you know, see on social media and you're like, that's the kind of person I want to be. Uh, for myself, uh, it, was, it was my father, it was my dad. Um, he was and still is uh, my biggest role model, like the guy that I aspire to be like. Uh, he taught me how to work hard and be honest and um, be disciplined and, and just so, so many more things. And I even remember the moment he became my role model. Like, I feel like that's something we don't always have, but, but I remember it. And so when I was growing up, I lived in this cul-de-sac with like 10 other guys that were all like plus or minus three years of me. It was awesome. And so one time this, this guy brought home this potato gun. Like, you know, it was one of those like big old things that you have to use spray, uh, hairspray in the bottom. And then it's like literally just this bomb that shoots off potatoes. So you give that to a group of 10, like, middle school guys, it's just, it was, yeah, it's the best thing that could ever have happened. But the only problem was that we lived in this neighborhood, like, houses were all around, like, there was no good spot to shoot this thing off. And so us being just the really smart kids that we were, we decided, you know what, we're just going to walk until we have an open space to, sh to shoot this thing off. So, you know, we walk in, we're walking, it ends up being like two miles that we, that we go where there's no house and we have like this open field. It was like this new development, like construction site. But it was awesome. And so we spend the next hours just shooting potatoes out in the air, like life couldn't get any better, right? And the only problem with this whole situation was that my bright self didn't tell my parents where I was going. I didn't even tell them that I left. I just kind of walked off. So, you know, a couple of really awesome hours go by, but then we walk back, and I'm confronted with my mom. And she runs out and is, like, freaking out, like, where have you been? Where have you been? You know, like, I almost called the police on you because we thought you were lost or abducted or, you know, who knows what. I was like, ah, oh, I probably should have said something, yeah. It, was, it wasn't my best move, but the whole, like, takeaway from that night, I remember my dad sat me down afterwards, just one-on-one, -on -one, and he talked to me about integrity and what that meant and um, just really just kind of imparted his wisdom on me. And I look back on that today, I, I didn't know that then, but I look back on it today and I see that as that's the moment I knew that my dad was the role model that I always had been looking for. So my dad's my role model, but who's yours? So just think about that as I, as I talk tonight. But like I said, I'm excited that uh, you guys all came back. It feels like we're finally like in a rhythm, you know, like we have things figured out and it feels amazing. I haven't been able to say that about anything in months and I'm a very like structured person, so this is awesome. Uh, but if you've been following with us this semester, we've been in the book of First Peter and we've been talking about living in the grace that we receive in Jesus. And so last week, 
I talked through that the identity God has given us um, gives us certain responsibilities of how we should live, right? That our identity often determines what we do. And so I, I shared a little story about our puppy Tucker um, and how he likes to bite people's fingers off. Um, it's, it's a hyperbole, but it, it's not that much of a hyperbole. Um, but he likes to do that, but that's not indicative of who he, like the character, it's just, it tells us who he is. He's a puppy, so he bites. It's not because he's a bad dog or anything. And so likewise, we talked about as people of God that we're to refrain from passions of our flesh and we're to respect figures of authority in our life. And we walk through who we are determines what we do. And so tonight, we'll be continuing this idea of living as people of God. And so Peter is going to continue to draw on this idea immediately um, as he tells us that God has made us his through Jesus, and so we should live like it, right? And so as he does this, uh, Peter's going to teach us that not only who we are determines what we do, but he's going to say that who we are is because of Jesus, that who we are is because of Jesus. In verse 21, he immediately like picks back up where we left off last week. And he says that to this identity that we've been talking through, we're called to it. That we're called to that identity. That we're chosen and royal and, and holy and of God's possession. All because of Jesus. But also remember who Paul's talking to in the book of 1 Peter. Like it's exiles, isn't it? people who have been scattered from their home, people who are going through this immense suffering. In the first verse of this book, in fact, uh, Peter even like calls his audience chosen exiles. Like not only are we called into this glorious identity in Christ, but we're also called into this unjust suffering. And so we might be thinking, why, why is that? It's because of Jesus. We are called because he, in fact, as we'll learn, is our role model. And so we'll jump into the, in the text tonight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll start in verse 21, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 3, verses 7. So Peter continues and says this. He says, For this you have been called. And remember, he's referring to unjust suffering at the hand of a figure of authority. That's how we ended last week. He says, for that you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightened, frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so based on this passage that, that Peter gives us, the main point I'm going to give to you tonight is that of people, as people of God, we are called to adorn ourselves with the Spirit of Christ. As people of God, we're called to adorn ourselves with the Spirit of Christ. And so to adorn ourselves is kind of saying to enhance or to make ourselves beautiful. Right, so like we adorn these pine trees every December when Christmas comes around with ornaments and lights and all that stuff. Well, it's kind of the same idea. So similarly, we're called to adorn, adorn ourselves with Christ. And so I'm going to use this word adorn a lot tonight, um, but every time I say, you know, adorn ourselves, the way I imagine it, at least you can use my Christmas tree example, or I like to think of like you're putting on the coat of Christ, like you're adorning yourself with something. And so if, if you need a visual representation like I do, that's kind of what I use. Like you're putting on this coat of Christ. You're adorning yourself with his spirit. And in this passage, Peter is going to give us three aspects in which we are to adorn ourselves in. And these three aspects are going to be my three points for you tonight. And so the first one is that we adorn ourselves with the spirit of Christ in his suffering that we put on that coat in his suffering. We adorn ourselves by his suffering. And third, we adorn ourselves for our marriage. And so first I'll start uh, with our first one, that we adorn ourselves in Christ in his suffering. And so let me just kind of take a step back and, and address a certain group of people that, that may or may not be here tonight. But if you're in this room with us and, and you're a Christian and you've just been feeling like this strong sense of suffering lately, like maybe you've just been going through this time of loneliness or maybe you just feel looked over, maybe you have been working at this friendship that you've been trying to save but they keep on hurting you in return, or maybe just this season of COVID has just been so prolonged and you're so just upset that it's taking so long and you just can't wait to go back to the old normal that you're in this season of suffering, well, this first point is for you guys. And it's saying this, that Jesus sees what you're going through, that you're not alone in the suffering that you may or may not be in, nor is your suffering unintended or unpurposeful, but rather you've been called to it. You've been called to it, and you're in great company in it. Right? Because there is one who has been through suffering and endured it into, the, into its fullest extent. So that when you go through it in your own life, you might adorn yourself in his spirit so that you may be able to endure. And so tonight we're going to see how Jesus endured suffering as our example so that we ourselves may endure it as well. And so this first point is going to draw from verses 21 and 20, and through 23. And so if you look back here, these verses make very clear to us that the reason Jesus went through his suffering when he was on earth was so that he could set an example for us. 
that he suffered for you. And Peter literally just got done saying that because of the identity you have in Jesus, you're to respect the bosses or the teachers or the masters who make you suffer for doing what's good. And then he picks up in 21 saying, not that you might experience something that or, you know, you may be walking to some seasons of suffering, but you will 100% experience some kind of suffering in this life as a Christian. You've been called to it is what the Bible's teaching us. And that kind of just makes us uneasy, doesn't it? Like we're like squirming your seat a little bit. Like, yeah, okay, I get we're called to it, but I don't even want it, right? Like who wants to suffer? It's kind of like when your mom hands you a phone and it's that relative that you know is just going to talk and talk and talk for like 30 minutes. It's like you shove your brother in and you're like, you, you talk to her first. It's kind of like that. But the beautiful thing about this calling is that we're not left in the dark here. God doesn't just throw us into the deep end of suffering and just say, okay, I learned to swim, you got this. No, he doesn't drop us off and abandon us. He himself has paved the way. Right, so if you think about it in terms in hiking, a lot of times we hear this term suffering and we kind of imagine like, you know, we, we went off hiking and, and we find ourselves alone in this wilderness at night and it's dark and we're, we're by ourselves and we're just hopeless and scared and worried. Like that's a lot of times what we think about, but, but suffering with Jesus, our role model, is saying that he's cleared the trail for us, that he's already been through it and that he's navigated it and given us the means to make it through to the other side. And so we know that Peter's teaching us that Jesus is our, our example, but let's look how, we, how he teaches, he sets the example for us and how his suffering allows us to adorn ourselves in his spirit so that we may endure. So in verses 20 through, 22 through 23, Peter writes that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit or, or lying found in his mouth. When he was reviled, or in other words, when he was criticized on earth, he didn't revile in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued to trust himself to God the one who judges justly. And like when Jesus walked on earth, that's how he lived through his suffering, by committing no sin and remaining honest and respectful and just full of faith in God. And we look at that and we go, how? How am I supposed to? But Peter's teaching us that as people of God, we're to adorn ourselves with this same spirit when we face suffering on our own. And so like I just mentioned, this leaves kind of this huge looming question of how in the world am I able to do this? Like how am I to walk through suffering full of faith and especially without sin like Jesus did? And so therefore that kind of moves us to our second point, that we adorn ourselves with the spirit of Christ by his suffering. That it's made possible by his suffering. And we learn that the very fact that Jesus suffered as as our example, teaches us that we should follow in his steps. But the reality of how Jesus suffered gives us the ability to adorn ourselves with his spirit in the first place. So in other words, Jesus not only suffered for your example, but he suffered that we may endure and overcome our own suffering in this life. And so in verses 24 and 25, uh, Peter continues saying, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
that by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So if you're sitting here tonight and you've never heard the good news of Jesus, or maybe you have a million times, but it's never sunken in, or you just haven't taken it seriously, I want to plead with you guys tonight just to consider it. Right, that Jesus was one sent by God to earth, that he suffered not only as our example, but more than that, he took on your sins, both past, present, and future, and he took them to die upon the cross so that we would no longer be enslaved to our own sin, but that we might live with God forever. That Jesus endured this suffering so that we wouldn't have to live in eternal suffering. Verse 25 gives us this illustration of a shepherd and his sheep. And Peter is pulling from the book Isaiah um, in chapter 53, and it shows us the nature of our relationship with God because of Jesus. Right, that once we were, we were straying, we were wandering off, we were looking to our own way, our own thoughts, but Jesus brought us back. Right, in other parts of the Bible, it says he left the 99 other sheep to find the one that got away, the one that strayed away. Like that's the extent he went to. Who we are is because of Jesus. He was the one that brought us back. And so therefore, adorn yourself with the spirit of Jesus when you suffer. Put on the coat of Christ. Just as Christ put on your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay the price yourself. As people of God, we adorn ourselves with the spirit of Christ by his suffering. And the final aspect that, that I'll talk about tonight is this, that we adorn ourselves with the spirit of Christ for our marriage. Any of you guys married here? Yeah, that's why I thought not a, not, not a whole lot. <laughs> but I'm sure a lot of us are planning on it, right? Like if we think of, you know, this is my dream scenario, we got some, some no's. But in reality, you are. I mean, so Peter in this, in this little section is going to teach us some really rich truths on the spirit of Christ and what it really looks like. And so he kind of transitions back to uh, the beginning of what we talked about uh, last week, if you remember it. And he's going to address this issue of what should you do if you're married to an unbeliever. And so in this section of 1 Peter, uh, Peter is kind of taking the time to, again, talk about the things, like how we should live in different scenarios because we're people of God, right? And so last week we talked how that looks with governing authorities. We talked about how that looks with teachers or bosses. And so this is how it looks in marriages, specifically marriages where either, the, either of the spouses um, don't know Jesus, and more accurately, Peter's going to kind of answer this question of how do I win over that spouse for Christ? Right? Like, that's a really important question. And his advice here for both the wife and the husband is going to give us really good insight on what the spirit of Christ looks like and how we are to adorn ourselves in it. And so let's briefly kind of look at, each, at his response to each member. And so first Peter addresses the wife who is married to an unbelieving husband. And he tells her very, very plainly, if you want to win over your husband for Jesus, don't look to your physical beauty. 
right? He says that it might be tempting to say, oh, if I just look good enough or pretty enough, he'll listen, right? In fact, the world might even tell you, and, and I'll argue that the world even does tell you this, that if the world says that if you have enough physical attraction or, or you do um, your hair and your makeup or whatever the right way, that all your relationships will work great. Right, like the world preaches to you right now that you just have to be pretty enough to get the attention of men. But Peter is saying that's a huge lie. Like the way you look is not the culmination of who you are. The way you look, it's a gift from God when he fearfully and wonderfully made each one of you in his image. All over the Bible, it talks about how beauty is fleeting, how it doesn't last. And the efforts that you spend to try to adorn yourself in this way will always be in vain because it's a perishable way. But rather, Peter says, don't chase after beauty because it's dying, but adorn yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. He says, because unlike physical attractiveness, the spirit of Christ never fades. He says it's imperishable just like your soul. So don't adorn your, your soul with something that fades, right? Adorn it with something that will last. And as wives adorn themselves with gentleness and quietness, their submission to their husband will be the loudest testimony that they could ever possibly give trying to win him over, right? And so Wayne Grudem, he's a famous theologian uh, today, um, and he says on this, on this verse, he says, that the attractiveness of a wife's submissive behavior to an unbelieving husband suggests that God has inscribed the rightness and beauty of role distinctions to include male headship of the family and female acceptiveness and responsiveness to that leadership. So in other words, he's saying that a wife's submission to her husband with a gentle and quiet spirit is far more powerful as an expression of her faith in God and the nature of God. That because Jesus submits to the, just because Jesus submits to God, yet they're counted the same. That's how a wife submits to the husband, yet they are counted the same. And, and Peter's telling us that when you adorn yourself with this gentle and quiet spirit, the husband's gonna look at that and go, that has to be God. Like that's what God is. And so then Peter's going to turn to the husbands. And to, to them, he's going to give a couple of key commands. First, he says, live with your wife in an understanding way. It just literally means take the time to get to know her, right? To understand her for who she is. Like this is the husband's duty, to understand your wife. So a lot of times we, we like to listen just to listen, or we listen for our own input, but Peter's telling us when you listen, listen to understand what she's really and truly saying, to get to her heart. A husband is always learning. I'm speaking from experience here especially. Um, but a husband always seeks to understand. And second, he says to honor your wife, to honor, to first to understand and then to honor. And so Peter uses this um, interesting phrase here by calling the wife the weaker vessel. And I want to be clear that that doesn't like imply any inferiority or anything like that, but it basically means that your wife is precious. 
Like she is precious, so honor her like that. So Peter tells us that wives and husbands are to put on their coat of Christ, a coat that is gentle, that it's quiet, one that submits to the head, one that loves unconditionally in an understandable way, and one that honors above all. As people of God, we adorn ourselves with the spirit of Christ for our marriage. And as I conclude tonight, I want to I do so with a quote from a famous preacher uh, by, by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And so for one of my classes, oh, maybe a week ago, I found myself writing this big, long paper over the life of this incredible man. And it, it was one of those things where, like I knew about him, but I didn't really know all of the, you know, intricate details of his life. And when I was doing my research, I stumbled across this quote that just kind of blew me away. And it fits here tonight uh, really well. And so if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon was, he was a preacher in the, in the 1800s in England. And he was a pastor of the largest Baptist church in the history of the world. And like by the time that his life had come and gone, he had filled up like 64 volumes just based out of his sermons alone. Like he was very well known. But among all of his faithful work to the Lord, Spurgeon also suffered immensely from depression. You know, in his time, there wasn't quite as much known uh, as today about, you know, what depression is and, and what all they could do for it, uh, but it surely hindered his life for the most of it. And so when he wasn't preaching, as he did 13 times a week, uh, he was often found hidden in his office, fighting this mental battle. And even in one sermon, he admitted that he would often cry for hours and not even know why. And his wife at times would wonder and fear if he would never preach again. Like if there was any man that experienced suffering for doing good, like it had to have been him. But the way he talked about his suffering is really incredible. So he gives this perspective um, in, in this quote where he says, it would be a very sharp and trying experience for me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. And he's saying that it is crazy for me to think that God didn't send me this. And he goes on to say that he believed every Christian minister should suffer in one way or another. Like he believed that they should be suffering. He said that Christ himself was made like his weak and tempted brothers in order that he might help those who are weak and tempted. And in the same manner, it is the weak and suffering people that God has chosen to minister to the weak and suffering. I love that last part. He says, it is the weak and suffering people that God chooses to minister to the weak and the suffering. Student life, your suffering is never unintended and it is never unpurposeful. But it aligns us with our Savior, who suffered for us personally because of our own sins so that we might live in his righteousness. And Peter in this passage uh, refers to Isaiah 53, and, and I want to read that quote from Isaiah as we close out. Isaiah 53 uh, says this, that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, 
He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So as people of God, we are called to adorn ourselves with the spirit of Christ in his suffering, by his suffering, and for our marriage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth that we have in Jesus. God, I thank you that, that you sent him not only to live as our example uh, for everything that we do, uh, but Lord, that you also um, sent him to replace us. God, that he would suffer for us, that he would stand in our place because of our own sin, or that he would take it upon himself, upon his shoulders, and that he would carry that weight to the cross so that we would never have to. God, I thank you for that truth, and, and I pray that if there was one in this room that had never heard that, Lord, that you would, you would visit them and, and you would share that news with them. Father, I pray that uh, we can walk out of here tonight adorning ourselves with your spirit who is gentle and quiet, who did not threaten, who did not revile in return, but who trusted you regardless of what came his way. So, Father, I thank you for each one here tonight. Um, and, Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.